Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, uh, open up to the book of Galatians for the last time, for a while at least. And uh, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, it's, uh, you can grab a pew Bible there. It's Galatians 6, 11 through 18. Galatians uh, 6, 11 through 18. Or you can turn to page 1342 in the pew uh, Bible there. Um, as you're opening there, let me remind you, next Sunday, I hope you saw it in your bulletin this week, but next Sunday, immediately following church, here in this very room, we'll have a special called business meeting. And I want to tell you what it's about right now, just so it's really clear, in case, um, just so if you can know as much as you can before you come to vote next week, and that way you can have some, if you have questions you want to ask, you're welcome to ask those next Sunday, or you can ask them this week. Um, but did you see all these kids down here? They're bigger than a Sunday school class. There's more in our kids' choir than a Sunday school class. But right now, they're meeting in a Sunday school classroom on Wednesday nights. Now, for years now, we've planned on eventually expanding our children's facility all the way down to the end of the hall that it's on. You want to just do the... Yeah, there we go. And uh, for different reasons, we've not been able to. And um, so I want to encourage you then to, to know that our... House and Grounds Committee's come up with a plan um, to renovate the rest of our children's hallway, and it's going to do lots of different things, provide storage, the space will be able to use for lots of different ra- reasons, but the main reason is so that we have a nice children's choir room, a larger room that can be used for, on Wednesday nights for our children's choir, but furthermore, from McSpadden, for VBS, for different things, eventually we plan to kind of split up kids' worship between preschool, younger kids, and older kids give us another large space to use for different things. So it's just time. We've outgrown uh, the beautiful space that we installed here about six years ago. Uh, we've sort of outgrown it a little bit, need to expand that. And so we're going to be uh, um, voting on an expenditure up to $50,000 to get that work done. So you'll be able to see more of those details next week. Or if you have questions, you want to know about the price, the cost, things like that, you can uh, give us a call in the church office this week. Myself, Brother Woody, I uh, would be happy to talk to you, or if you'd rather talk to people from the committees, uh, we can get you in touch with the folks from the committees as well. So we look forward to that next Sunday immediately following church. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. If you would, please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. See with what large letters I'm writing to you. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. 
Oh God, we ask if you would, please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And God, it's our prayer that we would be changed by it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are, as I've told you before, we are obsessed with the superficial, the outward, the obvious, the visible. But God's concerned with things that we aren't as concerned with. I want to read to you a quote from Francis Schaeffer, uh, someone who's now gone to be with the Lord, but whose writings have impacted my life in lots of different ways. Listen to what he had to say in, in the introduction to his book, The Mark of the Christian. Through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show that they are Christians. They have worn marks in the lapels of their coats, hung chains about their necks, and even had special haircuts. Of course, there's nothing wrong with any of this if one feels that this is calling. But there is a much better sign, a mark that has not been thought up just as a matter of expediency for use on some special occasion or some specific era. It is a universal mark that is to last through all ages of the church till Jesus comes back. What is this mark? Schaefer goes on to read John, I mean to quote John chapter 13 verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the book of Galatians, Paul has been addressing throughout the book this, this difficult challenge of those who were false teachers who had come into the church and they had entered into the church preaching that in addition to putting your faith in Jesus and the gospel, you needed to also follow certain aspects of the law, including circumcision. And so Paul, addressing these things, later says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but faith working itself out through love. You see, this obsession with finding superficial ways to demonstrate that we're Christians, finding fleshly, in a literal sense for Paul, a fleshly way to demonstrate that we're Christians, ways to sort of manage our flesh or do things with our bodies or do things that are merely external to demonstrate how holy or how good or how Christian we are, is one of the things that Paul is dealing with in the book of Galatians, but it's important that we be reminded as we conclude our study of this great book that we cannot forget that the real fruit of Christianity is born out of us being made new through the gospel. We are recipients of becoming a new creation. You see, Paul repeats himself here. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but in this case he says, but a new creation. And this is the message of Galatians. We cannot forfeit the gospel that cannot be seen for the sake of that which we can see. God's primary focus in saving you and in working in your heart and your life is not giving maintenance to the flesh, but instead transforming your heart. Faith working itself out through love, you becoming a new creation. One thing I've learned as we preached through Galatians, I chose to preach through this book after praying through it and thinking through it because I felt like now I'm almost 10 years into being your pastor and one of the 
first things I preached through when I got here was Romans chapter 8. I didn't preach through the whole book of Romans, but preached through Romans chapter 8. I think the church 10 years ago was a little new to going through books of the Bible. Just going through a whole book of the Bible at once like that. And I thought, felt like it might not be wise to kick things off with the whole book of Romans. So we just did one chapter at first, right? Romans chapter 8. You'll get Romans one day, don't worry. But we're going to wait, give you another decade. But we, I wanted to go back. I we'll preached through Romans 8 because I felt like it was important as I embarked on a new pastorate here to go deep into the gospel. To, to just to go deep because I think you know, I know you believe that we ought to be a gospel-centered church. All about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I thought it would be important for us to go deep into that. And I thought, well, 10 years in, we should probably do it again. And I had no idea how badly I needed another deep dive into the gospel. And so this morning, what I want to leave with you as we leave the book of Galatians is this idea we must constantly renew our devotion to and our focus on the gospel. We cannot ever leave the gospel behind. That Jesus Christ came into the world, that he lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, that he died a sinner's death that you deserve, that God raised him on the third day, and that now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, willing to save anyone who comes to him by faith. We cannot let that go. We cannot move past it. We cannot go beyond it. We can't go deeper than the gospel. We can go deeper into the gospel, but we can't go beyond it. This morning, I want to show you three ways to remain gospel-centered. How can the book of Galatians linger in your heart and life? What should you do with Galatians not just tomorrow, but on Monday morning, this time next year. How do we stay gospel-centered and gospel-focused? Three, three truths, three ways here. Here's the first. We must reject holiness theater. We must reject holiness theater. Paul, it seems, often wrote through what's called a scribe or an amanuensis. He would dictate his letters to someone else and they would do the work, like a secretary of, of dictating the letter for him, writing it out for him. And yet it seems like in verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul reaches over and grabs the quill. All right, my turn. And he begins it with, See with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. He's summing up the book, right? Give me the pen. I'm going to finish this out. I want them to see and know what I really... Here's, I'm summing up what I've tried to say. Just in case you didn't know, verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. This idea hits us a little harder as we've walked with Paul through his views on how we grow in the spirit versus the flesh and how we're not to indulge the flesh and how... People present the law as a good way to mortify the flesh when in reality it's a terrible way. It actually helps grow the flesh, become less like Jesus. Grabs the pen and he says they're, they're simply trying to make a good showing in the flesh. And theirs are the ones who would force you to be circumcised. Why though? And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised 
do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul's showing the way that the righteousness of these Judaizers is not rooted in the gospel, but rather rooted in the flesh. And he's showing and demonstrating the way that they're even hypocritical. He said earlier, if you accept circumcision, you're required to keep the whole law, and yet these people don't even keep the whole law. So what's why just this? It's senseless he's showing. He's showing and exposing it for what it is. It's an attempt to make a, a showing in the flesh. It's holiness theater. It, it's, it's the sort of holiness that's only for the sake of demonstrating holiness to others. It's not for the sake of actually being holy before God. Holiness theater appears to be holy and it appears to be godly, but it does not flow out of, nor does it affect changing the heart. And our hearts changing is the business that God's about. It's easy to even take good things, I think, and and turn them into a sort of outward demonstration of holiness that's actually fleshliness. It's actually rooted in the flesh. And so often we can even take good, wise, godly decisions that we make and sort of <coughs> make a law out of them. And sort of, sort of, I've noticed something we like to do. We like to take whatever it is that God's done in our life recently. And we sort of like to, to build a fence around that and, and treat that as if that's the sum total of what it means to be godly seen this over the years and then some churches and denominations and folks have a tendency not only with what God's done recently but they tend to create their own little list of things and as long as you're doing these things well we're okay and so long as we're teaching for example some people might say as long as we're teaching the right things in a world gone mad on gender as long as we're teaching the right things on gender we're just fine and as long as we're teaching the right things on the inerrancy of the Bible, we're just fine. And as long as we're not getting too crazy in this area or that area, we're fine. And yet what starts to happen is sin starts to creep in. Things God cares deeply about starts to creep in because all we care about is whether we're following the certain rules. As long as we're reading the script of the play correctly. As long as our holiness theater is okay, we don't care about the genuine and authentic holiness in our hearts. And that's why sometimes the churches that have the most veneer of godliness and the people who have the most veneer of godliness oftentimes have some of the most wicked things come out of them because they're not worried about authentic heart change. They're just worried about the superficial. Now think about all the ways, all the ways that you are tempted toward Holiness theater. Things that good godly Christians disagree on. Entertainment choices. Educational choices. Political persuasion. What about the preferences of how church is done? You know? The, the preferences about how church is done. You know, there are some folks who think if there's not a smoke machine and a plexiglass pulpit that the Holy Spirit's not in the room. We've all met people like that, and you probably, I don't know, I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church Gadsden, and so I've had people even kind of get a little bit, you know, snooty with me about it. Um, okay, but what about us? How do we view those folks? How, how do we think about people that are 
less dignified than we are in worship. How do we feel about folks? We say they're just singing those 7-Eleven songs. All that bubblegum pop stuff. Not us. We sing the good stuff, the old stuff. We go deep at our church. We're not just here for entertainment. How easy would it be, though, for us to make that a sort of theater for holiness, to start to judge our friends and neighbors about how they worship Jesus? Let me ask you this question. I think it's a diagnostic question for all of us. Are you more concerned about seeming holy than you are being holy? Are you more concerned about showing your holiness, which by its very nature means it's rooted in the flesh, or are you more concerned about having your heart transformed? Are you looking for a conforming and comfortable holiness or an authentic, flesh-killing, heart-transforming holiness? Holiness theater is a distraction. Don't be satisfied with it. We will never stay focused on the gospel without genuine heart transformation because when we start to settle for superficial holiness theater, we're in territory that we don't need Jesus for, that we don't need the Holy Spirit for. You can conform your flesh and you can do certain things without a new heart. Jesus didn't have to die and raise again for you to be feel good about how you act already. And if it was all about just showing how righteous we are, we wouldn't have needed Christ. But if we are serious about authentic, flesh-killing, heart-transforming holiness, we will need the gospel every day. You don't need the gospel for legalism. You don't need the gospel for help following rules externally because you can always find a set of rules you can keep but if we want to please God if we want hearts that please the Lord we need Jesus so not only do we have to reject holiness theater but second of all we need to embrace the cross wholeheartedly embrace the cross wholeheartedly verse 14 far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says these folks wanted to circumcise the Galatians because they didn't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so the cross, by its very nature, is offensive. It leads people to say, is that really what you think? Do you really think I'm a sinner who needs a Savior in the form of a cross? Don't you think I just need a little help being a little better? No, with no cross, there is no gospel. We cannot be gospel people without being cross people. And this is, pun intended, the crux of the matter. The offensiveness of the cross. What the cross speaks about us is the most overwhelmingly horrible thing that can be spoken about us. That we desperately need a Savior and that we deserve to be abandoned by God and forsaken by God, to be put outside the camp, to be nailed to that awful cross, and that we deserve to suffer the wrath of God there. And yet, at the same time, the cross says something gloriously wonderful about us, that it was Jesus who went there on our behalf and He suffered all those things that we deserve in order that we might receive His righteousness by faith. We are a people 
of the cross. And my friends, we embrace the cross wholeheartedly and we recognize and live out the reality that we have nothing to boast in outside of Christ's cross. Any of you guys ever tempted to brag? I've been tempted to brag about all sorts of things. Let me tell you where a lot of bragging happens. Gatherings of pastors. We get away from y'all and things go south fast. We need a church to keep us humble. No, we've all been tempted to brag. But isn't it ironic that this is what Paul says he's the only thing he'll boast in? And Paul was brilliant. You ever think about just what an organizational maestro Paul was? And just how so much of the church seemingly, and the church in the world today, so much of it was built on the back of Paul's hard work and ingenuity. He traveled, he went on all these missionary enterprises, I mean, he single-handedly, seemingly, took the gospel to countless regions in the ancient world. I mean, he was doing the same sort of thing before he was saved, organizing people and traveling to persecute the church. And so he had a lot of natural gifts. There was so much for Paul to boast in. But far be it from me, to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That which made Paul be persecuted, the cross. That which cut him off from the world's wisdom. That which seemed to be the center of the controversy between him and the Galatians and him and countless other churches. His passion for the crucified Jesus is the only thing he would boast in. Something so seemingly shameful and embarrassing. I'll never forget the moment I was witnessing to a man who was of another religion. And he was, he was walking with me through the Gospel of John. And we were looking in John 17 and the way Jesus was, was begging to, to avoid the wrath of his father. And he said, do you see how pathetic this is? How sad this is? This is your Savior? But it's the weakness... It's the weakness of the gospel that we see as its power. Isn't it ironic that the only thing we have to boast in is the thing that says the worst possible thing about us. All we have to say is that Jesus died for us and that is enough for me and you to be able to stand before God and to say the shameful and embarrassing thing is actually the picture of our glory. You've heard the great hymn. My sinful self, my only shame. My glory, all the cross. Are you okay? Are you okay with the equivalent of an electric chair? An instrument of torture that Rome used to demonstrate its power and majesty and glory and its absolute suppression of anyone who would stand in their way? total world domination? Are you willing to say the fact that your leader and your savior was crucified on one of those crosses is your only glory in life? And until we get it, until that clicks with us, my friends, we won't be gospel people. No holiness theater. Our glory is only in the cross. And finally, believe the gospel exclusively. Believe the gospel exclusively. Verses 15 through 18. Notice what 
Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule or this canon, he's talking about the gospel, this rule of faith, this new creation and cross of Christ, the gospel itself, all who walk by this gospel, peace and mercy be upon them and or even upon the Israel of God. What really matters? What's Paul driving at? What sort of Christianity did Paul preach? What really matters? Not the way we manage the flesh, not whether we've been circumcised or uncircumcised, not, not how well we've kept the law, but whether or not we are a new creation. Not the superficial, not the outward, not what we can see, but what we can't see. Who cares whether or not you're circumcised? What matters is whether or not you're circumcised of heart. Who cares whether or not you're physically descended from Abraham? What matters is whether or not you're part of the Israel of God, all those who trust God by faith. And even if we were to care about the flesh, we should only care about its weakness. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul says if we want to get in a fight about who's wearing the flesh, let me tell you what mark I bear in my body. The mark of suffering for the gospel. The gospel is what matters. The cross is what matters. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. My friends, what a glory it is to share in the cross. If we are going to be gospel people, we must exclusively believe the gospel. That's all we have. It's the only hope we have. You're not descended from spiritually better people than anyone else. We're all wicked before God. We all desperately need God to make our hearts new. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, gospel people, even upon the Israel of God. All those who by faith trust the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're from present day Jerusalem. The Bible says, if you're physically descended from Abraham, what matters is whether or not you are a new creation. What will it take? I mean, in all sincerity, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to grow in your faith, to deepen your faith? What's it going to take for you to reject legalism that so easily seeps into our lives. What, what's it going to take for you to bear the fruit of the Spirit? What, what's it going to take for you to be a gospel person, to keep your focus on the gospel? What is it that you need most desperately today? Some of you might be clinging with white knuckles and sweaty hands to the gospel today. What's it going to take for you to be sustained? How is it that you're going to fight the flesh? Some of you may be breaking out in a cold sweat at night over some temptation, fighting it, struggling with it. Your flesh is relentless. You may think to yourself, I need to persevere in faith, but I don't know how I can. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to move past these things? What's it going to take for you to hang on to Jesus that you so desperately need to do? How are you going to reject all that the world offers? How are you going to reject the flesh and embrace the Spirit and walk with Christ with a pure and holy life without which no one will see the Lord, the Bible says? 
What's it going to take? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. My friends, you need the most precious thing in the world so desperately. And by God's grace, you have His grace. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit to walk by this rule, to walk in faith, to crucify the flesh. And from this moment until the day the trumpet sounds to raise your body from the grave or to take you home right then, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Oh, precious brothers and sisters. Amen.